Are you ready to experience something extraordinary? Cultural gems in Croatia, ancient temples in Asia, art in Italy. We'll take care of everything. Flights, accommodation, excursions, local guides and all that planning. Travel department, let's see more. The Cathy O'Connor Podcast. Cathy meets journalist, novelist and UNICEF ambassador Cathy Kelly, with thanks to the Schoolhouse Hotel in Ballsbridge for their hospitality. I'm delighted to introduce you to a superbly talented woman who many of you will know for many different reasons. Some of you may have been avid readers of her newspaper column or indeed enthralled by her award-winning books. Others may have cheered her on when she guested on Dancing with the Stars. And then there are those who would have been profoundly moved by her frontline experiences as an ambassador for UNICEF. I speak of the wonderful woman that is Cathy Kelly. Welcome, Cathy. Thank you very much, Cathy. I love it when we're saying, hello, Cathy, how are you? I, I know, is there an echo here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, Cathy, I know you've so many strings to your bow, but today we're focusing on your almost 18-year role as ambassador for UNICEF. How did that come about? Um, I was always very interested in in concept of working with people who were, who were less fortunate. And I'm, when I was a journalist, I remember talking to um, someone, I think they were in the Red Cross. I remember at the time thinking, I would love to do something to help. And at the time I had a house, a dog, a job, and I was a writer and I kept thinking, well, sure, that, none of that's of any benefit. You know, who'd look after the dog and what can I do? Um, and which was... You know, sort of daft in lots of ways. So then, fast forward to me being a a writer, and I had twin sons, and a wonderful woman called Thora Mackey, who was the UNICEF deputy director at the time. And Thora was involved um, with UNICEF. They were bringing out a book to help uh, children who'd been orphaned by HIV/AIDS. So they came to me and they were, and I'm going to use the air quotes here, they were taking pictures of Irish celebrity families. So I said, of course, absolutely, we will be involved in that. And when they came out to do it, I was talking to Thora and just such a beautiful person. And I was so interested. I, I knew a fair amount about publishing and they were self-publishing. And I was like, well, no, we could do this and we could do this. And, you know, this is the way I approach things. Kathy, I turn into this mad, wild whirlwind of plans and, and list making. I'm a great woman of the air list. And um, through that, I think they, you know, that um, they, they saw that I was very behind them and their work and through that they asked myself and at the same time actually they had asked uh, the wonderful actor Stephen Ray to be UNICEF ambassadors so we, we went together um, on our first trip to uh, to Mozambique and that would have been um, I don't know 2005 uh, and Cathy, I'm sure that, you know, over the years you've probably been approached by many charities to do things. But what was it in you as a person that was willing to to take a trip to a country you'd never been to, to witness something that you had probably never seen on the scale of it? It's very different, I imagine, watching this stuff on television than being there. So what was it in you as a person that that you gave you the courage to do it? Um, I think there is a massive desire in me to, to, to help other people and I am so aware of the the, the good things in, in my life and I'm 
just terribly conscious of the fact that we have to look after other people. You know, it's a thing that when I'm in, in town and I see homeless people, I just, like, it just drags something out of me and I have to, you know, I've, I will sit and give money and talk and just be a human being. The idea of that, that people in a tragic situations, they're people just like us and, and they want kindness. And being involved with UNICEF was a way to get involved and, and to do something good. I, I don't mean that to sound Pollyanna-ish, but yeah, it just really spoke to me. And the, that first trip, and in, in fact all trips, they're massively hard, but I have no right to say this is difficult and you know it's stressful because the people are living this and it's the, you know, my job is to, to talk about it, to come back, to talk about it, to tell people about it, to try and make these stories real to give a voice to people who don't have a voice i think that's it that i always say that you know being a mother is my you know my big thing and i adore being a writer but helping other people that's just a massive part of of who i am god that makes me sound like an awful i think i'm fabulous i don't that's not what i mean oh, no no and that's not coming across for a minute uh, kathy i think that thing of kindness and compassion um and and taking action wherever you find it uh, you know just in a private way on the street as opposed to you know something a little bit more public so tell me about the first trip that you took i know it was, it was to mozambique as you mentioned with the actor stephen ray what on earth was that like it was very overwhelming um, in the sense that Mozambique was recovering from a very big um, flood a few years before and this particular trip was about um, HIV AIDS and we saw uh, we saw a lot of day hospitals for example where people would come in and they would be tested for HIV AIDS. One very powerful thing um, was this clinic uh, and it was a clinic up north in the country so Mozambique is on the southwest coast of Africa and this has this amazingly beautiful coastline which you look at and you go how amazingly beautiful and then there is this you know sadness in some places so there was this wonderful um, mother and baby clinic and my children were two and I remember thinking oh this is like the rotunda clinic except it's outside and but the same sort of thing of baby shrieking as they get an injection but you know, there were 20 million people living in Mozambique, 400 doctors. This was a UNICEF-run clinic and women would come in with their babies and they would get the sort of uh, vaccinations that we consider to be entirely routine. And also pregnant women were coming in and were getting HIV tests. And that was a, a very, very important thing because at the time, the HIV rate in Mozambique was about 21%. It was very, very high. And there was an entire generation of people who'd been wiped out. So you would end up with women who got HIV from their husbands. They were pregnant. Um, the baby cannot get HIV in utero, but when the baby's been born, they can. Now, the, there, you know, if you have a cesarean, that works in the West, but that's hardly going to work in a country with very little medical help and 400 doctors. So at the time, there was this, it has moved on since then, but there was this triple injection where there was a titration of HIV meds to try and stop the baby developing HIV. And it was just so powerful. Women sitting in a room thinking that they could be carrying this disease that would kill their child or kill them. And the other reality then, of course, which is something you see a lot with, with UNICEF, water, clean water, 
is a massive, massive thing. And I've recently done a campaign about children dying in Syria because of dirty water. Okay, things, you know, waterborne diseases are still killing. And, and we're sitting here and we've got our glasses of water in front of us. Such a massive thing. But if you have, you have a baby and you have HIV, if you are lucky enough to get formula and you make up that formula with dirty water, your, your baby will, will die from some sort of diarrheal disease. The, the, the diseases that babies can die from are absolutely staggering. They're so simple and they kill so many children. And yet, if you breastfeed your baby, HIV can be transmitted through breast milk. So this was what we were seeing. You're, you're suddenly seeing this horrendous disease wiping generations out, destroying lives. And it was so incredibly sobering, powerful. I mean, we, you know, we used to try and have moments of, of, of sort of light relief. And at the time, uh, you know, we would go and find some little place that we'd grab something to eat. And um, there was Stephen sort of, fabulously handsome, beautiful Stephen with his marvellous face. And somebody came up to him at one point and said, are you Bob Geldof? So we had great fun snagging him the rest of the time that he was Bob Geldof. And he bought this wonderful mask that he used to frighten us all with the, the, you know, at odd moments. But I think you have to take a little bit of humour in the midst of this darkness. But it was the most incredible experience. And I think our jobs were when we came home to talk, to never stop talking. So I think since that first trip, my job has been to talk, to tell stories about the people I've met, to make them real. Mm. Because statistics are just so enormous, they overwhelm us. So if you say nine million people, that means nothing. You talk about one person and their children, that actually touches people. Sponsored by Expressway. With My Expressway, free travel pass holders can reserve their seats online at expressway.ie or at our ticket machines in stations. Are you interested in trying a new smartphone but still a little unsure? Do you want a phone that offers larger icons with louder sound and an interface that has technology designed for seniors? Well, why not choose from the Doro range by simply visiting doro.ie. Doro, make friends with innovation. And Cathy, what was it during that first trip that the kind of strengths or skills that you could tap into to feel like you were making a difference? Because I'm sure in the face of such devastation, of just being overwhelmed, I'm, I'm sure you must have felt, what can I do in, in this way? In a way, it was almost natural because um, I had the reporting side and I... I was taking notes all the time, the amount of notes I take everywhere we go, so I, I know everything. But also, I I love people, I connect with people. And and it's I was very worried when we went for a second thing, well, I, you know, I'm not going to speak the language. And actually, the language is not always important. When we would turn up and we would be in the UNICEF um, jeeps, People know UNICEF are there because they're helping, because it means they're not forgotten. Whatever's going on in their life, UNICEF are there helping with, you know, toilets, helping with water, helping with education, helping with medicine. So they know they're not forgotten. And we got there and I found that I could communicate without the words. And it's just it's just an amazing thing to be able to be with someone and somehow manage to convey to them, no, we're not going to forget you. We are going to do our best mm -hmm. for you 
and we're going to keep doing our best. And it's like this, I don't know, special, you know, promise you make to people without words that you're going to remember them and keep trying to help them. And I suppose in those kind of situations, Cathy, the person who may be in front of you, you may have no idea the, the level of loss, of difficulty they may be facing. You know, I'm thinking of mothers, you know, um, for, for example. There was this wonderful woman we met on that first trip and she was so beautiful and she was it was in a, what they call a day hospital, um, a UNICEF run day hospital. And she was there to see if she had HIV AIDS and she had her little girl who was, I don't know, maybe six or seven sitting on her lap and actually it's quite hard sometimes to gauge the age of children because of malnutrition children will quite often look younger than they are and this little girl was wearing this beautiful, I can still see it, broderie anglaise dress perfectly put together sitting on her mother's lap and I felt, I did feel like a voyeur in their pain and yet you know, it was important to be able to tell that story. I mean, I can still tell that story now, and it's it's so powerful. I can feel it. I don't know what happened to that woman. I We were not told whether she had HIV AIDS or not, but if she did, her little girl, at best, was being brought up by a, a grandparent. At worst, would be part of what they call child-headed families. We met so many of those. You'd have, like, an older brother who'd be 15, and he'd be minding three or four younger siblings. And like in any world, there are people who are going to take advantage of them. It's mm-hmm. a massive thing. Child-headed households. What a desperately sad thing to think about. Uh, and Kathy, I, I guess there's, there's kind of resilience that you might see in people just where, where you know, a mother might have lost children, for example, that you wouldn't necessarily know what's going on, but one step in front of the other, you know? Well, the most recent trip I took was um, earlier this year um, in, in May to Turkey to, to look at the after effects of their February the 6th Turkish earthquake. And there was a woman, and we'd been told that we were going to see a lady who had lost um, three children and her husband in the earthquake. So this massive earthquake, and the Richter scale is a thing that is now gone. There is now a new scale, but this was an absolutely catastrophic earthquake. Uh, huge damage, 50,000 people killed, 9 million people, at least 3 million of them children, displaced. Entire cities raised to the ground. It's actually staggering, really frightening to see. It's like something out of an apocalyptic movie. And we heard about this woman, and then we, we, were, we met her sort of by accident. She was in a, a shop that was set up by the government, and she was helping to give people food and to give people clothes. And one of the, the translators said, and this is this lady. Now, we, we, were, we were not going to be talking to her, obviously. You just, you just can't. You, people need their, their privacy in this situation. And I realized that the, this woman who was going about her, her job smiling. And she looked at me and I looked at her and she knew then that I knew. And you could see her mask sort of fall off. And she was getting through somehow, and I don't know how. Her bravery was phenomenal, but she was getting through after all of this. And I just touched her, and then I touched my my sort of heart area, and she just nodded. It was like that unspoken language. But there would there would be nothing you can say to someone like that. Her strength, her power. I don't know if she is still going. There, the bravery 
and courage of someone to keep going. I wouldn't have had that. I don't think if that had happened to me, I don't think I'd be able to keep going. People are phenomenal. Mm. And I suppose, Cathy, it is that that connection, that kind of that human connection that can be so. I, I suppose so meaningful at a time of, of just such extraordinary devastation. I suppose I'm just thinking of the stories that you've told about how you might connect with children in in terrible circumstances. The when you see children, I think it's it's younger children. When you come into a camp um, and you see little children, and someone will there will always be a photographer, and someone will want pictures. And I I love children, and I I'm. It is my one of my happy moments to be with young children. Um, and a few years ago, I was in a camp in Jordan, uh, the Al Zatari camp, and it was a refugee camp for Syrian refugees. And it was 26 kilometers from Syria, and it was so big it was the fifth biggest city. Basically, the camp itself was the fifth biggest city in Jordan. And um, so there were so many children there, 84,000 people, half of those were children, and they had to have school, was staggered basically because there were so many kids. And school is hugely important, that's why things like school in a box, for about 50 euros you can buy a school in a box that goes to an area that's been devastated and it provides normality for kids. So we had kids being taught there and these little adorable beautiful children with their Dora the Explorer backpacks and stuff so it's you know you get down and you sit with them and you sit in their chairs and I'm small and they think this is hysterical in the way you know Irish kids here would be if you know a stranger comes into the classroom and sits in their chairs they think it's hysterical and that you're small and and then I start drawing things for them and, and it's beautiful and it's lovely and then they're that is incredibly powerful and but older children, it's a different it's a different thing because they've seen the pain, they know their lives are never going to be the same in a in a war or in a disaster situation. So in Turkey, for example, one of the things we saw they so I think most of the schools were if not destroyed in this particular area near the epicenter. So many of the, the schools there were cracks in them, they were destroyed, they were no longer safe. So there were schools that had only recently been set up because a lot of teachers had, had left. People had fled the area. And there was this group of children, and they were the STEM class. So they would have been, you know, the leaving cert 17, 18-year-olds. And really everything you say is, is fraught with difficulty. So at one point I said, and did you, you know, do you know each other? And of course, then I realized that so many of them would have had friends who were killed in the earthquake. So they were bright and they were thoughtful and a lot of them said they didn't want to, they didn't, I, I was saying, what would you like to do? And a lot of them were saying they weren't sure what they wanted to do because life could end. You know, their their hopes and dreams had been sort of hit. And then this amazing young guy, and you could just see the brilliance in his eyes and he was super clever and he had some English and he wanted to go to university to study physics. and. So I was talking to him a little bit about Einstein, and I love that Einstein quote about, you know, if you can't explain it to a four-year-old, you don't understand it yourself. And we were laughing at this. And then he came up to me later and he said, actually, he said, I didn't want to say it, but I won't be able to go to university. I will have to go somewhere else to, to work with my family. And this lovely young man and his life has changed. Mm -hmm forever and I suppose that's something that we may not appreciate from from news headlines because I guess once the crisis happens there is the media attention that goes on it uh, and I suppose somewhere like Syria when you've got that generational 
thing that's that's going on is is you know the impact just goes on and on doesn't it this is it i mean with syria where it's going to be 13 years in february so basically there are children who've never known anything about syria apart from war um, an awful lot of, of people have left Syria and they are living in camps. They are, as we know, they're traveling in perilous boats uh, across the Mediterranean. I mean, if you're going to put your family in a dangerous boat, it means that living on land is so dangerous. Um, these people, their lives are changed forever. It, the, the Syrian crisis and also the Yemenis crisis, these are the, the biggest um, refugee crisis since World War II, and this is this is continuing to go on. We look at the Ukrainian war, um, that you know it is it's devastating to, to see this, and it's changing people's lives forever. So in the same way, in Africa, there are there are children whose whose lives have been changed forever because of uh, HIV/AIDS. You know that has a knock-on effect in Yemen. What's been going on in Yemen now, it's been shelled out of its mind. There is so little medical help, there is so little food. There are children who are so malnourished, their their physical brain development is impacted. So they are tiny. They will never reach their um, intellectual potential because they have been starved. I mean, that this happens. A- another issue that uh, I did some ads for um, about Syria and water. So you have children in Syria who are dying because of dirty water. You know, and we're, as I, we have glasses of water in front of us. It seems like such a basic thing. And for massive parts of the world, water is a huge thing. Mm-hmm. And Cathy, from your most recent trip um, to Turkey, what, what and I know UNICEF works in so many ways. What are the resources, the really tangible resources that UNICEF offer that you applaud, having seen on the front line how it's how it's changing things? Well, in a in an, a disaster situation, first of all, Copenhagen. I've been to the huge uh, UNICEF. Um, what would you call it, warehouse. Warehouse is actually not the correct word for it, really, in Copenhagen. So UNICEF is the world's biggest provider of vaccines. So, you know, they, we will we will start with um, what we get there. We get tents, we get medical equipment, we get schools, we get food, we get everything we possibly can to the disaster area. Uh, shelter, obviously, is a massive thing. In, in Turkey, there are tents, and there are increasingly container homes, which, you know, they look like lo- container lorries, which seems like a dreadful thing, and yet is actually very, very... <laughs> it's marvellous compared to living in a tent in the... In it's very, very cold, or it's um, uh, very, very hot. Um, then we're looking at water. Huge issue. In UNICEF has been involved in Turkey since the 50s, and you know Turkey is a modern developed economy but suddenly this whole area that was hit by the earthquake we have a situation where water is a huge thing water sanitation without water and sanitation people die very very simple you've got cholera you've got all the the diseases that come from from sewage and the parts of Turkey that I was in it is just it's like pancaked You'd see a car and someone would go, that's a car. And you go, that, that was a car? It looked like a, a, a giant bomb went off on it. Um, there's 
tents, there's education, there's getting people in to, uh, there's training teachers how to help the children to cope emotionally with what happened, to discuss how they can in, in some way get over it. The, the little kids in Turkey, they were asked, you know, where does it hurt when you think about the, um, the earthquake? And the, the thing was it in their, their, their feet, because of, and people are going, with their feet, what does that mean? Of course, because of the aftershocks, because of the, you know, how, how terrifying that is. A big thing we saw in all these buildings that were just sort of pancaked, and there were lots of mattresses sticking out, and mattresses can create a thing called, or a bed, uh, a triangle of life. Yeah. So you put your mattress at a correct angle against something, and you hide under it and you have some way of getting out. It's just so basically devastating. So UNICEF works in 178 countries around the world and it is just the people who, who work full time and I consider myself such an amateur because the people who work in the field all the time, they are the absolute stars. It is this beautiful ballet of helping other human beings to have, to have life when life has been ripped apart from them. Uh, and Cathy, I suppose the, it raises that, that thing that I know is very close to your heart, that question of the accident of birth. Yes, I often think, I mean, the difference between me and the, the woman in Mozambique who who's, was waiting to see if she was going to die is that I happened to have been born in Ireland uh, in, a, in, in a country that has water, I mean, there's so many things we don't have. There is child poverty here. There is massive homelessness here. There are so many problems. Every country in the world has problems. And I will never say for one minute, say, you know, give to X and don't give to Y. But I think we are all capable of giving a little bit to everyone, to, to spreading it out. So yes, the, the accident of birth, it means that I wasn't born in Syria or that, you know, I, me and my twin sons were, were, were not born in Yemen. And the people you see, what they do to take care of their children, it's just so powerful, so amazing. Human beings are truly amazing. Uh, and on that, Cathy, what would you say to people who, as you alluded to already, I mean, we have our own crises. What would you say to people who just believe that charity begins at home? I can understand that, and I know there are people who, who feel that very firmly. I just think that we owe it to the, the whole world insofar as if we can, if, if you can only, if your charitable donation is 10 euros a month, okay, you can say, right, I'm going to give that to Barnardo's, I'm going to give that to Vincent de Paul, my mum worked for Vincent de Paul for years, so you can say, right, I'm going to give that there, that's lovely, but maybe if you had 15 euros, you can say, okay, I'm going to give my, my 10 euros to, to Vincent de Paul, and I'm going to give five euros to, to UNICEF and that will help uh, buy five or six plumpy nut bars to help a child with malnutrition. Actually, that would buy about a hundred um, tetanus vaccines. A tetanus vaccine is 11 cents. So uh, babies are born in parts of the world and their umbilical cords are cut with non-sterile um, uh, non knives and 10 days later, the baby dies in excruciating pain. So with an immediate tetanus vaccine that costs 11 cents, that baby doesn't die. So I think we 
all can can spread our humanity in a wide way. It's I think that's very important. Kathy, it's been an absolute privilege to talk to you and thank you for your courage, for your own humanity and for being able to translate these appalling situations into something that, that's meaningful for us. Thank you so much. And if you'd like to find out more about UNICEF's work with children or make a donation, their web address is unicef.ie. On will phone poke and newawet, on will knappy no fum nis orjawet, nis eskalehusod, faker no phone in tokatal gwin, on cho, egg doro, on von klishte is dani, gidi gohon la hai glina, agus taskina, ta rod egen, gogachtina, ta nismo olis, egg, doro.com.